Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Who's ready for the Dodgers and the Rays in the World Series? Bellinger's shoulder popped out? What kind of a celebration is that? I know, it's Mark McGuire and Jose Consenco. They started the Bash Brothers. Not good. But his home run was very good, so the Dodgers come from 3-1 down, and they're in. The baseball... Uh, better than the football. I got all worked up for the NFL. I was ready to go. And that, that Green Bay-Tampa Bay game, 38 unanswered for Tampa Bay after they pick off Rodgers twice real quick. That, that game turned into a dud. The Bears game was boring, but hey, Chicago's 5-1. and one. When's the last time you could say that? All right, I saw the stat, 2012. But still, the Bears getting it rolling. The Bears and the Packers in the NFC North. Okay, I'm here for that. That might be more competitive than the Browns and the Steelers. Yikes, Cleveland. I mean, I didn't think you were as good as Pittsburgh, but I didn't know you were going to get annihilated like that. You got crushed. Romeo Cornell, aggressive strategy. Going for two, Houston. I didn't like it, but aggressive strategy. Ended up getting you beat. Uh, congrats to everybody, but the Jets has a win now. The Giants beat uh, the Washington football team, so the Jets, who got shut out by the Dolphins, are 0-6. Well, good news. There's a quarterback at Clemson who's waiting for you. All right, we'll get to the uh, the rest of the football this weekend, and Bama blowing out Georgia. We'll do that later. But I want to talk a little college football now, a little Utah college football. The Utes scrimmaging three weeks in advance of their opener with Arizona on November 7th. Kyle Whittingham, it probably pained him to say this, but the offense is in front of the defense. Here's Kyle after their scrimmage. Okay, first of all, don't get used to this luck any way, shape, or form. But I got uh, Donna that's getting married, so I thought I'd dress up for her. Um, Get right to business. First of all, uh, second of all, that was first of all. Second of all, I don't. Uh, I got about ten minutes. I'll give you as much time as you need on Monday morning to make up for it. And so I apologize for that. Uh, just briefly, it was an uh, outstanding scrimmage as far as uh, getting a lot of work done, situational work as always. This time in camp, early in camp, you're looking at situational work. Um, you know, all three quarterbacks played well. Reserve judgment until we've watched the tape. Um, but they all did some good things. Uh, running backs ran hard. Jordan Wilmore stood out. Ty Jordan stood out. Uh, Devin Brumfield stood out. Uh, Makai Bernard stood out as running back. So some good production there with the running backs. Uh, wide receivers were solid. In fact, the offense overall had a, had a good day. They, they probably had the, the better day of the two units. Defense uh, struggled a little bit, uh, gave some things up, got to get better uh, open field tackling, uh, gave up some gaps in the run game. Uh, so anyway, a lot of good things on both sides of the ball, but a lot of work to do in the next what, uh, three weeks. And so uh, next week will be a, pretty much a carbon copy of this week uh, with the Saturday scrimmage, culminating the week with a Saturday scrimmage. And then uh, then it's two weeks countdown and, and things starting to uh, you know, you start getting them fresh and ready to go for, for the opener on the 7th. So uh, questions? First up will be Jody with the Deseret News, followed by Bill Riley with ESPN 700. Hi, Coach. Notice the captains were named. Uh, I was curious if you could just tell us about this year's group and what you expect from them. Yeah, I thought the players did a nice job electing captains. As always, it's totally up to the players. Uh, the first thing I'll say is don't read anything into Jake Bentley being a captain as far as winning the job. That, that's just what his peers think of him right now, which is a positive. It, it don't, don't get me wrong, it's a positive thing, but, but that does not uh, factor in to our decision as far as who's going to be the guy. 
Um, but Jake is, uh, was elected, as was uh, Orlando Umana. Orlando was uh, a captain in the offseason as well, so he's he's uh, been a captain for us for, what, seven, eight, nine, ten months now. Um, defensively, same two guys, Devin Lloyd and Mika Tafua, two outstanding leaders and outstanding players. And uh, I thought that the team did a great job with that. We also have 10 more guys in addition to the captains that will comprise the 14-man leadership council. So it's uh, 10 others, and I don't have those names off the top of my head right here, but uh, another good uh, job by our players putting that group together. I think they did an outstanding job. Next up is Bill Riley, followed by Trevor Allen with KSL Sports. Kyle, did you feel like you got, I know you guys want to look at the tape, but did you feel like watching it on first glance that, that you got any separation or anybody established themselves as a, a position taker on either side of the football? Oh, well, let me think about that one. Uh, I think we established that uh, we know who the, just generally speaking, the running backs that are going to be traveling with us and be the, the guys that are in the mix. It was those four that I mentioned, uh, TJ Green, uh, didn't quite have the production that the other guys had this uh, in this game, although he did he did a couple of nice things as well. Uh, running backs, or excuse me, wide receivers, um, with the departure of Jalen Dixon and, and Tyrone Smith, uh, looks like he's going to be lost for the season. He was uh, he's had a hard time here staying healthy. We, you know, my heart goes out to him. He's worked his tail off, but the running back or the wide receiver crew is now getting a little bit thin. But the guys that uh, we're counting on. Played outstanding, uh, Solo Enos and Brian Thompson, Britt Covey, uh, and so and then the tight ends as well. Uh, Money Parks, the, the freshman, did some nice things. A wide receiver, uh, Samson. Samson Nakua is having an outstanding camp. I, I need to talk about him more because he's doing some really good things. And uh, Devon Bailey. So those six guys really are the the uh, and Money would be the seventh right now with the receiving core. Those top six, and then Money being number seven. Next up is Trevor Allen, followed by Josh Newman with the Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Kyle, uh, what, what did you see from your corners today on scrimmage? I know I know you want to check out the tape, but just from from your from your vantage point, without checking out the tape, how'd your corners look? I thought they played solid. Uh, JT Broughton was probably the best, just to, without uh, doing intensive evaluation. Malone um, Mata LA played well. Clark Phillips showed up. Um, Bronson Boyd did a nice job. And so we were starting to ride that, that corner pool was starting to develop a hierarchy and and uh, we need six, that's ideal. You know, if you have a two deep uh, in your nickel scheme with the three corners that we put on the field, if we have six quality guys that we feel are, are ready to help us out, then that's uh, that's ideally where we want to be. At safety, um, I know you didn't ask about safety, but Nate Ritchie continues to impress. Uh, Fonte Davis had, did some good things today. Uh, as well as our freshman, Kamoi Latu. He's, he's starting to show up. Next up is Josh Newman, followed by Dirk Facer with the Desert. Kyle, just given the fact that Jake has only been on campus about 10 months and he has not taken a snap yet, what does it say about him that his teammates thought enough of him to vote him as a captain? It says a lot. It says they respect his work ethic, his character, how he conducts himself. Uh, the rapport he has with those guys, and particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And like you said, it's, it's rare, it's a rarity for a guy to be in the program uh, in that short a period of time and, and be elected a, a team captain and again without even really knowing if he's a starter, knowing if he's a starter, because that's still up in the air. So, so that speaks to the level of respect that uh, our team has for Jake. He's a mature, 
guy that handles himself exactly like you want a quarterback to handle himself as far as uh, just his demeanor and, and uh, how he conducts his business. Just to follow that up, I feel like you'll be able to move from three to two quarterbacks after this first week like you wanted? Guaranteed. Have to. We don't have a choice in that. We have to be able to start sinking the reps into uh, two guys and then, like we've said many times before, get that down to one. But uh, there is no time for us to continue to sink equal reps into three guys. So come next week in practice, there will be uh, some separation there and, and some divvying up of the reps differently than what's been uh, than what transpired this first week. Okay, I, I think you said what was the format of the scrimmage today? A little of everything. We had uh, a bunch of drives that we started at the minus 30, minus 40, and then at midfield. We had uh, high red zone work. We had low red zone work. Uh, we had two-minute work, uh, outstanding session in the two-minute, which is something you can never get uh, too much work at. And so it was a combination of just driving the football and playing uh, within the 20s between the special teams work today. We had we hit every phase of special teams and uh, hopefully took a step forward there. There's Kyle Whittingham after the youth scrimmage. Coming up next, the Cougars after their win in Houston. 29 unanswered to win the game. The last 16 minutes were awesome. Giving up the 23 in a row wasn't so good, but they answered and they got the win. So we'll hear from Kalani Sataki, Zach Wilson, and Dax Mill next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. A fast start for BYU, a strong finish for BYU, in between, there was a little trouble. But, you know, if it were easy all the time, it wouldn't be as impressive. Up 14-3, to down 26-14, to and BYU rolls. 29 unanswered in the final 16 minutes. Dax Milne, huge game, three touchdowns, massive numbers for him. Zach Wilson threw for 400 yards, and Milne had almost half of them. He didn't, but almost. Here's Dax Milne after the game. What was that night like for you, Dax? Because Gunner goes out, you know, you're, you know, missing one of those guys, and it just seemed like you were able to find openings and make plays all night long. What was that like? Yeah, it was tough, tough losing Gunner, um, but yeah, I think we all have found ways to to step up. I was just glad that me and Zach were on the same page, and that the line was giving Zach enough time to allow us to make plays. And it was it was fun, man. That's that's how I can put it. It's just fun. Dax, what does this win do for you guys in terms of confidence moving forward, going into the back half of the season? Um, I think it's just uh, kind of just what we've been doing. It's fun to get a win each week. Um, we celebrate it <clears throat> throughout the weekend. Um, talk about it on on Monday. But after that, it's over, and I think our confidence just kind of remains at the same level. Like we know, we know we're a great team, and if we uh, minimize mistakes, that we can we can play with anybody. So, <clears throat> yeah. Zach, so much has been made about the connection that you and Zach have, and it was—I mean, it's 
I don't really know what to ask because I feel like we've asked you that question a billion times, but do you feel like your connection is after like 27 years of being around Zach, do you feel like your connection is still growing each practice and each game and, and all that to where you can kind of put on performances like you did tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Just like it's grown um, thus far. I think it just continues to, uh, to get stronger and stronger as, as the weeks go by. It's just, it's, it's fun to be a part of. Hey Dex, how much did it help to have fans in the stadium? And was that sort of a um, driver or, or inspired your comeback? Um, did it help to have those fans cheering for you to be able to mount that comeback? Yeah, I'd attribute, uh, attribute a lot to the fans. Um, <clears throat> it, it for sure helps us uh, dig deeper and, and um, helps us compete. You know, when, when you hear a bunch of people uh, that just have the same love for BYU football as you do, it's just, it's, um, it creates an exciting atmosphere and, and uh, adds to our play for sure. Dax, I wanted you to take me through that last touchdown because it's a three-point game, third and 15. You guys are looking at, you know, keeping it a one-score game if you have to go to the field goal and don't convert there. Take me through that play and what it was like to be able to, you know, kind of build that separation and, and kind of put the nail in the coffin there. Yeah, uh, that, that one felt great. Um, I, think, I think Houston thought that we were going to play a save just given the situation. Um, maybe just run the ball for the clock and then try for a field goal and – and so when I heard the play call, I, I got really excited because I knew it was, it, was a, it was a touchdown play and I just had to do my job and everyone else had to do their job as well. So <clears throat> once again, I'm just super happy that um, the line did their job, gave, gave Zach enough time and, and Zach just putting it on the money. Just it felt, felt good to put, like you said, just put the nail in the coffin. There's Dax Mill. Here's the quarterback who got on the ball, Zach Wilson, 25 of 35 for 400 yards. Here's Zach Wilson after the game with the definitive statement about how good this BYU team is. Zach, congrats on the win. Um, what statement do you feel this team made tonight on this national stage? Yeah, you know, huge win for us. Um, I feel like the statement that we made was that we're a big-time team. You know, uh, Average teams, you know, are inconsistent. They can't, they can't finish games off. And, you know, there, there wasn't a moment of that tonight. Every, every single play, every single drive tonight was, you know, even if something didn't go right, every single play, every single drive was, hey, you know, we're going to execute the next drive. And the guys had the same mentality even when adversity hit. We were down, momentum shifted, and, you know, so proud of these guys for battling back. Zach, this was the first game this year where you guys found yourself trailing by double digits and had to dig deep to kind of respond. You mentioned the confidence that you had, but what's that moment like? Because you hadn't faced it this year to be able to step up and prove that you can do that. Yeah, you know, it's something we practiced in the offseason all year. And uh, I think what got us there is, is pregame before this game even even started, we talked about this. You know, you know we, we talked about how this is a good team, that they can score the ball, they can move the ball up and down fast, and they can get stops on defense. And so we knew it was going to be a battle the whole time. We knew that there could be a moment in this game when we were down, and we just had to, had to keep the foot on the gas. And, uh, you know, the times we couldn't score tonight, I, I still think was, was us killing ourselves, you know, putting ourselves with penalties, backing us in, into tough, situation, in tough situations or, you know, not being able to capitalize on a third and one or a fourth and one, you know, getting, getting stuffed on easy situational drives where we're putting ourselves in a good situation but can't capitalize on it. So still so much improvement, but, but just so glad for how we responded. 
responded to adversity. Hey, Zach, speaking of that adversity, you had that uh, seven minutes left midfield. You got stuffed on third and one. Uh, Kyle, or Kalani sends on the punt team. What, what was kind of the attitude of the offense there when that happened? Yeah, you know, it was, it was a pissed off mentality, but Hey, we're going to get the next one. You know, we were, we were thinking in our heads, Hey, momentum had shifted. They had great field. We had great field position coming back on and it was boom, boom. We had two pretty good plays to start the drive. We got to a third and one situation and, you know, we stopped ourselves, and, and that, that's something that we need to, we need to work on this next week is being able to move the chains on a third and one, you know, that's, that's one of the easiest situations we can put ourselves in. And so, um, pissed off, but, but hungry to come out the next, uh, the next drive to capitalize. On that play, were you going to sneak it? It looked like you might've uh, called an audible there. Uh, you know, not on that one. Um, we had, a. You know, based off of one of the other games, we we're just trying to draw them off sides. You know, we were trying to get their them uh, amped up. We were trying to run up to the line quick, act like we were sneaking it, and then uh, we had an audible out of it. And so, um, you know, it just it didn't work. You know, we gotta we gotta capitalize on that stuff. You guys lost um, Gunnar Romney throughout the game, but Dax Mil- Milne was there just to pick up. What were you seeing from him? What what were the passes like? How did you just feel throwing to him all night? Oh, that dude's a playmaker. I love that guy. You know, he's. He's one of my best friends and, you know, I'm so happy for him, everything he's gone through in his life and the ups and downs of being a, a preferred walk on kid and taking on the challenge of coming in and, and taking on a challenge where no one, no one really thinks you can do it. You know, I I've believed in that guy since day one. I've always, I've always known he was going to be a big time player for us. And so I'm, I'm so happy for him in this moment that, that, you know, when you hit a, you hit a, a spot like third and 15, it's, it's, where's my guy at? Where, where can I go and give Dax a one-on-one opportunity? And he ran a great route there to separate himself. And, you know, the throw was easy because he, he, he got, he got open. So I'm just, I'm super happy for him. Hey, Zach. So you had an, an unfortunate interception against Navy, um, but now you've thrown 132 consecutive passes um, without completing, without throwing an interception. What can you attribute? That's the sixth longest streak in BYU history. Um, what can you attribute that offensive success to, to this point? Man, it's a team, it's a team stat, you know, that's a team stat, no doubt. I've had balls that were 50, 50 balls, maybe even 60, 40 in the defense is uh, favor because of where I put the ball and, and my dudes are going up and they're making plays, you know, uh, interceptions come when, when pressure gets on the quarterback too. And I know these guys are trying to bring some pressure tonight and I got an O line that gives me, gives me more, more than enough time. And so, that's a stat that goes all the way around the team. That's just that's guys around me making plays. Here's BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. Here's the head coach, the Riverboat Gambler, Kalani Sataki. Onside kick, yes, please. Going for it on fourth and one, yes, please. Going for it again on fourth down at the end of the game. Assistant coaches hold him back. Here's uh, here's Kalani after the game. Kalani, what's going through your mind right now after that that thrilling victory? Proud of our team, proud of our players, and um, you know we. We knew that Houston would have a great game plan, would make a lot of adjustments from game one to game two. And, and uh, I, think, I think they gave, they gave their best shot and they, they, they showed, I mean, they had a lead on us and just proud of our players and the, the, uh, just the way that they were able to respond to adversity, you know? And so the, we, we got caught in, in some things and, and, and the momentum was taken. It's weird because we got, we got the momentum early and then it starts slipping away. <laughs> And then we had to regroup and get back in, in, at halftime and, and get on the side, you know, on, on, in the locker room and talk things over. Collaborated with our players and, and talked it over with our staff. Came up with what I thought would be a great game plan on defense and offense and special teams. And then went out uh, looking forward to 
you know, doing whatever we can in the next 30 minutes to, to gain a victory. But I love the way our, our, our team feels right now. I, th- I feel our offense is clicking. You just got to give them time. And sometimes it takes, takes a little while for it to get going. But those guys can score points. And defensively, you know, we, we, did, we did some things differently in scheme-wise that I think we're going to have to go to and, and um, be a little bit more aggressive in a lot of different ways. So, uh, obviously, being aggressive was the key. And, you know, on onside kick, going for it on, on third down and fourth down often is, or going for it on fourth down is, uh, I think it sets a mindset for our players that we, we want to go and grab the win and uh, basically take the initiative and make things happen. So I'm just proud that we were able to get the win. Obviously, you need some things to get fixed between now and next week and looking forward to getting that done. Kalani, after you gave up that touchdown to go down 12, after they had like a 98-yard drive, how big was that offensive drive afterward? I think uh, Zach had a couple big throws to Dax and able to get it back in the end zone. How big of a moment moment was that? Yeah, that was huge. But, you know, I I look at – we had to assess that, that, that long drive. There's a lot of things that happened in that drive. We got the ball on the ground a couple times, you know, and, and uh, they had this um, this target pe- targeting penalty that I, I have no idea. It took them ten minutes to figure it out, that, but but I, I had to look at it myself. I, I saw it. I just didn't. I don't understand. But whatever, you know. And, and they had we had a lot of different things happen throughout that that uh, those the series where. Uh, we made it hard on them. The credit to them, they made plays and they were able to advance the ball down. But uh, we knew what the deficiencies were. We knew what the issues were, were in that drive. And we set out to fix it. And as we started to fix it, there's no panic in, in the coaches or or, or, um, or the players. We just knew that we'd have to get it fixed. And as we started to do that, our offense started to click a little bit. And, and uh, the result is what happens. I feel like we started to figure things out and you know, our pass rush started to happen. It started to click a lot better. We started to get stronger as the game went on. And and um, that's why we trained. These guys are a great team and looking forward to making some, you know, just like to see us start fast and stick to the end. You know what I mean? But you have to give a lot of credit to, to Houston, the things that they did, tested us and probably made us rethink a few things scheme-wise defensively and then offensively. I think they, they made some plays. You know, the, the defense was able to get some stops on fourth down short and do a lot of different things. They brought a lot of different pressures and uh, we just knew that given some time, Zach can do a lot of things with, with the ball in his hands and he was able to run and throw and, and, and make some big plays for us. Hey, Coach. I'm kind of sad that I wasn't able to go back to my home state, but... I, I know. I thought you'd be here. <laughs> we ran out the Texas flag for you. Wow. No, 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 no. Sorry. Oh, I told my sisters that they should have been there for me. But um, it seemed like you guys had some trouble mounting a running game, but it kind of opened up the opportunity for Sack and Dax to kind of put up career best night. So I guess, can you talk into about what went into the game plan, I guess, to do more of an air raid rather than run game? Well, they, they were committed to stopping the run, and that's what the pressures that they brought. They did so many things up front um, to just make it hard for us to run. You know, we, we, had to, we had to keep trying because we felt like if we can get bodies on bodies, we'd be good. But they started overwhelming us with the pressure. And as we started to, to look at adjustments and things that we could do differently, uh, I thought it was a good, it was a good uh, matchup with what they're trying to do defensively and what our offensive minds were thinking about. And, um, and you know, I was, I'm just glad that we were able to go to a few things things to make it work and I'm um, just happy that our, our guys came out with a win. I, I, I know that um, coaches are smart. I know that our players are smart too and we just give them a chance to to be in a position to have success, meaning that we put them in the, uh, the optimal position for them to, to utilize their strengths so that good things will happen.
Hey, Kalani, with about seven minutes to go, you had the ball at midfield. You got stuffed on a third and one. Um, how hard was it not to go for the fourth down there, not to go for it? You punted it away. Uh, I really wanted to go for it. <laughs> I, that's like, yeah, that, that was really hard for me to, to to let that just punt. But, you know, I think I can't remember what happened on the punt. Did, did, did we they go into the end zone or is that one that we pinned them back? I can't remember. You might have to remind me. Yeah, it went in the end zone. Chris Wilcox. Yeah, should have gone for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, we'll see it. I, I'll look over it. And I like to be aggressive, but that's why I have Ed and, and the rest of the coaching staff to help reel me back a little bit. But yeah, I, I just, I just like to might be mindful of where the sticks are. So we don't have to get into third and short situation and make it so hard on everybody. Cause I'm, I want to go for it, but that, that, that was the right decision. And I'm glad I was able to talk with our coaches and get feedback and make the right decision there. Lonnie, I thought the play that changed the game, the decision was that onside's kick. Uh, what went into that, and how much of that was maybe predicated on giving the defense more of a rest? Um, I think, you know, we have uh, – I mean, Ed Lamb's a great coach, and he runs our special teams. And, uh, you know, you look at the things that we're able to do uh, against a, a really, really good dynamic team like uh, – the return team like like Houston, and we were able to pin them – pin them back and, and get some stops on kickoffs and just be disruptive. And, and I think Ed saw something and Jake Oldroyd liked it a lot. And you know, me, I was like, y you're going to get the green light. So uh, they wanted to do it. And we thought it was a good time. I, I, I don't know if it worked. I mean, I don't think that drive did anything right, but we were able to pin them deep a little bit. Um, but more than anything, it's the mindset that our team has to have. We, we focus on trying to be bold and trying to, do things that, that, that kind of, we want to have that mind, that mindset, that mentality of being bold and aggressive and swinging for the fences, different sport, but you know what I mean? Just, just that's, that's what I want to do. And I want to establish that. And it didn't surprise our players when we called it, they obviously didn't, they were expecting it. And, you know, I'm glad that we we're able to do things like that. Just like, I mean, I just like the game plan that we had all together as a great team win, <laughs> but the mindset would be aggressive. Uh, Kalani, uh, congratulations on the, the win on the road. A uh, big win for you guys. Um, could you touch again on the chemistry that Dax and Zach has worked out in this game? It really, uh, it really showed. Yeah, the, those guys have known each other since they're kids. So, you know, I, I think uh, they're just used to being around each other. And then in the offseason, you look at Zach as a leader, getting the, the team together to throw the ball. I mean, that's – that's you already know the things that he's going to do individually to, to, to make himself better, but it's the leadership that I like from from him and other players on our team, being able to get their guys to get out there and, and do some work. Um, you can see that there's a connection, there's a rhythm that they have with each other. But that's with, with, um, with Zach and, and all the receivers. And then you look at our, our quarterback position, they have this connection with, their, with the players that – uh, I think it's they, they just have a great mindset on where the ball is going to be. So uh, it's a, the hard work from our coaches, but definitely from our players to able to have that connection is huge. And, and you have to give a lot of credit to the players being able to work around each other and, and be around each other often. Thank you.
Coach, it was a pretty emotional game, a lot at stake and having to come from behind and seemed like it got chippy at a little couple of different points there with the headbutt on Micah and it appeared as if one of the Houston players spit in the face of Keenan Ellis. Uh, with everything going on, what did you see from your team, uh, how they were able to stay composed, keep their heads uh, and just keep focusing on the game and keep playing well? I was proud of our guys. You know, we try to play the game of sportsmanship and class as much as possible. And we know that, um, you know, even if we try to help people up, they may not want it. And just want our guys to just make sure that they play smart football. We're there to play a game, not to get in a fight. And it just shows a lot of self-discipline for our guys. So that, that's that's a key. <laughs> we got we got a lot of things to, to, to fix. And with that, I'm just glad our players have a great mindset to play the game and, and honor the game by not getting involved with all the other stuff. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that sometimes, you know, guys will do things that, that are that I know is not a representation of them, meaning Houston, whether it's spitting in someone's face or things like that, but just proud of our players and their response. You know, they, they didn't, it didn't get um, the reaction. I mean, even the headbutt on, on Micah was something that Micah just, you saw just kind of pushed off. So I, I like the way our guys' mindset are. They want to play the game. They want to be aggressive. They want to be physical, but I think altogether uh, it was a good game. I like the performance. I, I just like the, the the mindset of our boys. Coach, I, I know talking about defense, when after they gave up, what was it, 400 and something yards probably doesn't maybe sound right, but I thought the, the defensive guys really kind of stepped up, especially in that second half, Alden and, and Zach and, and some of them, especially with how many guys you were down. Was this just, was this kind of a sort of an emergence for some of those guys, especially with, so many starters out guys like like Kyrus and all of them I hope so I mean I, you know um I like the second half defense and I like the first quarter defense right this <laughs> is like uh as much as I mean the first couple drives or whatever even though they got three points in the first drive I just I think defensively we had to change change things up and and you know and, and we played we, we had to challenge them a little bit we, we had to play some man defense and that that's uh I like it you know, and, and our four-man rush was getting there, was hitting home. I think Houston did a good job of protecting their quarterback early. And um, we, we feel really good about our strength and conditioning program, feel good about our, our players' fitness. And we knew that uh, in the fourth quarter, we're usually stronger than most teams. And so it, it did pay off. And that was in all, all areas, in all three phases, we felt like we were much stronger towards the end. There's Kalani Sataki after the win. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Locke putting a wrap on the Jazz season and the NBA season and looking ahead to what the Jazz can do next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We're joined now... By the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. He's on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David Locke brought to you every week by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you? Good. Hey, 
Let's get you started here with the biggest and newest headline in the NBA and what it may or may not mean for the Jazz in the Western Conference going forward. Uh, Houston's changing GMs. Daryl Morey is out, personal reasons. Uh, they're having a coaching change, too. I'm assuming the Warriors, I don't know if they're coming back at a championship level, but I'm assuming they're going to be at least top four in the West. Maybe they'll come back at a title level. Probably depends who they surround their big three with. But if they're top four in the West, somebody is out. I don't think it's the Lakers or the Clippers. Denver's a young team on the way up. Maybe it's them. Maybe they get hit with uh, Blazer or Warrior-like injuries. But I would think that they should be in pretty good shape. So I'm kind of leaning towards Houston. Obviously, they're the Jazz and other teams who want to move into the top four as well. How much does this shake up the West and, and how dramatically? Well, I think Houston's just got a really big decision that they have to make, which is, you know, are you um, – are you running this thing all the way out? So are you going to run the hardened ship all the way till it's over, um, the way Memphis did with Mike Conley and, and Mark Gasol? Or are you going to pull the plug um, a little bit maybe the way the Clippers did with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin a little earlier than everybody thought that, you know, that was, was not necessarily thought it was all the way over um, and still got some value for, for those two players. Um, not a huge value, but got some. So, you know, maybe they'd be a step earlier than that. Um, you know, there's an interesting game with them. They gave away a lot of picks. They gave away their pick for Robert Covington. They gave away the picks for Russell Westbrook, and there's the pick swaps. So rebuilding is difficult. There's actually an argument. I think if you go back and look at the Oklahoma City picks, I think they're later on, right? So they're like 27 26 and 27 maybe so there's actually an argument that they probably need to get bad fast so that by the time those picks come up they're not um they don't need them as much um or the other argument is that they just have to run the whole thing out I, i'm not sure they have a, a middle ground where they where they go with harden for another year and then make the move and then they start to rebuild and then they don't have their picks so they're in a they're in a pickle um and the other thing you have to try to figure out if you're them, Russell Westbrook was just awful in the bubble, but he was just brilliant before the stoppage of play. It was probably the best basketball he'd ever played when they spread the floor and gave him room and he got on top of the cup and he was really, really great. And then when he got COVID and then he didn't come back and there does seem to be a correlation between some of these soft tissue injuries and COVID, at least Michael Pena wrote a nice piece in the GQ in GQ about it. Um, and so is that, you know, do you just have to dismiss that period, that play as, as them? But otherwise, I mean, they were pretty good right before the bubble. So they have an interesting analysis of, one, what they think of themselves, two, what they think they can do in the future, um, and then three, you know, obviously they're rebuilding their entire coaching staff and their general manager, and I think you better decide, you know, maybe that middle piece before you go hire people. Can some teams be successful without building through the draft? Sure. I mean, the Lakers, um, is there a Laker draft pick of any relevance on that roster that I'm forgetting? Kuzma. Yeah, so they got one. So, yeah, I would say you can be successful. You know, Denver's obviously done as good a job as anyone building through the draft. Um, and then Houston doesn't have a draft pick on their roster that I can think of. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's just one of one of two mechanisms of how you're going to do it. I mean, um, you know, Houston did to get James Harden. I'm trying to remember that deal, but it's Stephen Adams, a draft pick, Jeremy Lamb, who they drafted, and some future picks. So you're using your draft picks in that fashion. I, I, I've generally always believed that if you're good, you probably are only – ideally, if you're really good, you're drafting every other year. 
um, and you're using your pick to acquire assets on the other year. Now, we're, we were kind of on that path, and then we traded Grayson Allen and our pick for Mike Conley, and so now you know we probably, unless a really great offer comes, probably need to take our pick to get a, have a younger player that you can have as a rotation player. On the other end, if Terrell Brantlin, Mia One, Rajon Tucker, Jawan Morgan, or you know any of those four become rotation players, um, you've done it even better. You've hit with a second round pick. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. The coaching carousel is uh, is spinning right now. Doc Rivers is out with the Clippers, but he lands in Philly. And then uh, Tyron Lue now has a five-year deal with the Clippers. But I look at all of this and think uh, it's partly something PK said. Uh, I don't know what the number is, but at least half the league, maybe two-thirds or three-quarters of the league. I mean, not every coach is great, but, but a lot of them are pretty good, or they wouldn't have gotten to this point. And I look at Vogel's record, right? He's in Indiana. They lose to LeBron and the Heat three years in a row in six, seven, and six-game series. I think one was second round, the other two are conference finals. Paul George gets hurt. They're a lottery team. Paul George is back the first year, but maybe not all the way back, and they go out in the first round. They fire Vogel. Now, since then, the Pacers haven't been out of the first round. They've been in it every year, but out in the first round every year. Vogel, meanwhile, gets LeBron, and now he wins the title. I mean, we can go nuts over the coaching, but aren't there 10 or 15 coaches in the league who, if you gave them the best player in the league, could get you a title pretty quick? Yeah, I think there's about five coaches that maybe have more influence on the game um, and their team than, than others. And then I actually think that number's, that next number is bigger. Um, there's the coaching in the league is really fabulous. And, um, those that aren't good get exposed really fast. Right. Um, and then those that are around for a while get better. I don't think Mike Malone was particularly good three years ago. And I think he's really good now. So, you know, you probably need no different than any other job in life. You need some experience and probably no different than any other job. If you're Frank Vogel, at some point, the internal, politics or whatever else that's going on at your job makes you a little less good at it. You get a chance to restart and think about what you, what you did there and, and chew on it. He went to Orlando and wasn't very good. No, or nobody's been good in Orlando. So, you know, you learn from every experience and you get better. So I'd say there's, you know, I think there's something to, you know, when, you know, Tyrone Lou will probably was pretty good in Cleveland. Obviously they won, um, you know, and then every coach gets their strength, you know, labeled on them differently. I'm not sure. You know, Frank Vogel has been labeled a defensive coach. Well, maybe, but he had Roy Hibbert at his peak, and he's had Anthony Davis. So, you know, was he a particularly good defensive coach in Orlando? I'd have to go back and look. That you know that that. Um, so I think I kind of agree with you. I actually just think the number's bigger. I think the, the coaching in the league is really astronomically good. So you just went through and you listed all the Jazz young guys and said, you know, if one of them or two of them, however many, can become a rotational player, that's good. So as we head into the off season, they tried it last year by bringing in Moutier and Green. They've done it before with Joe Johnson and DL and so forth. In terms of trying to win immediately, are the Jazz going to have a combination of trying to develop and go also with veterans? Because we've seen with the Lakers, the veterans, a guy like Rondo and Danny Green obviously help them win. You need the stars at the top. Do you think that they, they're more inclined to go one way or the other or a combo of both? So, I mean, some of this is math. Um You know, if Rudy's going to be at 30 and Donovan is going to be moving toward that and Joe is at, what, 14 and Boyan's at 18 and then we're signing Jordan to something if we re-sign Jordan and Mike's at 30, 
um, you know, that's your core six. And then um, I'm forgetting somebody probably, maybe not. Actually, that's probably your core six. And um, oh, Royce O'Neal is it now at 11, right? So there's your course, there's your core. And now it's a lot to, like, to, if you're bringing, you don't usually have eight, nine, ten players on your roster that are all getting paid more than ten million, you know, eight, ten million dollars. That's, there aren't a lot of rosters that have that. So you better at this point get some value out of a million dollar player. And that million dollar player is going to, is, you know, the first choice is whether Brantley, One, Morgan, or Tucker can, can give you something. Your next choice is your draft pick who at 23 is actually I'm pretty impressed with what I've seen so far in the draft when I've looked at players. Um, and then, you know, then, then you've touched on the next one, which is the minimum players of Moody and green. I, I'm, you know, Danny green, uh, Jeff green is what I was saying. Danny green. I don't think fits that he, he's making $15 million. So, um, you know, that, that, that wasn't just a kind of the bottom of the heap draft getting that pick there's two things um to answer your question i i am generally not the biggest believer in like the minimum contract like i think you got to try it and um for all the math reasons we just talked about and then i just don't think the success rate's very good on it and there's a re- you know reason usually those players are minimum contract the the other side of it is um this year maybe there's going to be more there i mean there is a real chance that you know players are just not going to get paid that the financial circumstances in the league are significantly worse and there's a chance that teams are really going to be in you know not have the capability to roll out another 15 million dollars of salary in free agency and so not only will the cap come down but that you know other than a, probably two or three players that stay on their team and jeremy grant uh, there may not be a free agent that gets more than the mid-level exception and then the mid-level exception may not be given to very many people and so you might be able to sign people for two-year, $4 million deals and get fairly decent players in this market. It, it, it could be really dry. I mean, that, this is a, a side note. Unfortunately, the economic downturn, the pandemic issues, in my opinion, just everything favors major market good teams. Um, and I, so I think that's going to make it hard on the Jazz, really, really hard. So that when there's suddenly no money on the table, you know, the Warriors can go get $300 million of financing like they did the other day. Like, I don't know that the Jazz can actually, you know, I don't know. I mean, they're in a pretty good financial situation, but I don't know what they can go do. Um, the Spurs, a lower market team, had to sell part of their franchise. You know, whether they had to or not, they did. They sold part of their franchise the other day to bring in more cash during the beginning of the pandemic. Um, then you talk about, well, if there's really no money on the table and everyone's getting paid the same, um, and the financial burden's worse on the lower market teams, then um, then you end up with, you know, well, everyone's going to go to L.A., or everyone's going to, you know, if it's if you're off, you both averaging offering $4 million, they're both, gonna, you know, they're playing for the Lakers, not the Jazz. So a big part of uh, improving the team is the best player has to get better. And I know in the past we've talked about, well, Donovan Mitchell shooting 34% from three. Can he get that up a couple points? And so he, he got a shot 36.6% this year. Um, you know, can he add a step back three? And he did that. What, what is the next thing? What do you think Donovan's working on this offseason? What's he going to be able to do next season that he couldn't do this year? So I feel like Donovan got the – I mean, I think there's just this incredible – 
thing here. Donovan got the offseason, right? We saw Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, that got the offseason. Tyler Hero was a rookie, got his offseason. They already had their offseason. We've already seen the player jump from year three to year four. That's what the bubble was. Those guys had had an offseason, whether it was just to mentally relax or understand it. And we saw all the things you just talked about. Um, most importantly, we saw him going to the free throw line. Um, so, you know, off the bounce three is the game changer that has how people are dealing with the defense. You know, the drop big defense was the primary defense in the NBA. 29 teams were playing it. And the answer is to hit the off the bounce three. And that's pretty unguardable at that in that structure of a defense. So now all of a sudden you see the guys learn it. These guys are that good. Well, the next step then is, you know, finding a way to drive and, and still get to the rim and, and go to the free throw line. So I think we've seen it. Now he just has to refine it. But the major jump has actually happened already for Donovan. And it happened, you know, in, in year three to year four, which was inside that, that gap in the bubble. Yeah, that was when we had Kenny Smith on. That was his theory that they've already had that off season. Uh, we've seen, obviously, to me, Donovan. You know, let me, can I give you a can I, Go ahead. Uh, PK, can I interrupt? Because I actually just thought this was really interesting. Go ahead. Uh, it was Kevin, Kevin Pelton of ESPN just talked about how we actually all have a false calendar in our heads because of when games start and stop. And so what we actually yeah. saw was this just natural progression of, right. the, you know, he's five to six months older and it just happened to be that usually we don't see games at that time period. And, and it's not yeah. actually that they had their off season. They're just five or six months older. And this is the natural time where they get better. You know, we see with LeBron when it needs to be done, he handles the ball and everything runs through him. I don't know that the Jazz would commit to having Donovan have the ball at all the time and play the traditional point guard role, even though the traditional is a different definition now than it was then. But do you see him having the ball more, particularly when it's needed the most? Uh, I think Donovan's going to end up increasing his playmaking role a great deal on this roster. Um so yes, I mean I think Donovan, Donovan's going to play with the ball in his hands almost all the time. I think I think that's okay. I think that's the next reasonable step. Um, you know I think there's a bunch of interesting discussions. Goran Dragic moved off the bench, during, moved to the bench during the during the regular season this year. Um, is that something that Mike Conley at this stage of his career is willing to do? And then you're starting Donovan with the ball in his hands, and maybe you're, you know, the way Miami closed with Goran, and then by the time the playoffs comes, Goran was, you know, starting again and pretty massive part of the team. But they're at the exact same age, so is that something you do? I don't know. I think there's a lot of really interesting little kind of ways the team changes in that regard. I was kind of the opinion that they would, uh, and right now it's Joe and it's. Um... Uh, Mike Conley and Joe Ingles. Uh, but, you know, going forward, those guys are in their 30s. I always thought the kind of the ideal thing was you have, you know, LeBron can handle the ball when it matters, um, but he's also this, uh, he's like, he's, uh, it's like in chess, you know, the queen is the piece that can do everything. And so because of matchups, sometimes you want him over here. Sometimes you want him over here to just be off the ball and rest. So you get to have him on the floor, but he's not spending all the energy. And so you still need to have multiple ball handlers, but how you deploy him just depends on the situation. You know, fourth quarter and playoffs are different than the grind of having to do it every possession all the way through the regular season. Do you think that's there's going to be that mix going forward and then Donovan handles the most important stuff? Or you really think it's just Donovan quarter one through four, game one through 82, and every playoff game? So, um, two things. One is, you know, we were the only team in the league, or we in Oklahoma City were the only two teams in the league that had a, three players run a 1,000 pick and rolls last year. 
um, with Ingles and Conley. I, I think, you know, Quinn's system has always been egalitarian, always move the ball, always touch the ball. You know, a lot of the talk around Houston right now is just, you know, do people actually want to deal with watching James Harden just go one-on-one and just at some point team chemistry-wise, that just doesn't work it in the league. You know, I think you have to be careful of that. So the, I would say I think that's the likelihood. The other one I would say is that, you know, from a very early stage, Quinn thought that Donovan was an Allen Iverson-esque scorer. Um, and so there's probably going to be some freedom of letting Donovan Mitchell just really put it in the basket. Um, and that's what he can do. So it's probably, you know, inside the egalitarian system that we have, um, you also, you know, you've got a really, really special talent. Let him go to work. All right. Well, we'll just leave with this number and then we got to run. But uh, he shot 51% from three in the bubble after shooting 36% in the season. And I think we're all waiting to see how much of that was because it was easier to shoot in the bubble and how much was that jump he was taking uh, with the four months off. And uh, I guess we can debate that another time, David, but that is something tantalizing for Jazz fans to think about. I mean, take a second and look at Donovan's numbers compared to Dame Lillard at the same stage of the career. And you can either do age or years. They're better for eight. They're better on years because they both kind of played college and Donovan was old. And then take a look at Bradley Beal. That one you probably have to do by age because Bradley Beal came in the league at 19. Um, It's an interesting comparison to try to see where those guys are compared to where Donovan's going. He's David Locke. He's the radio voice of the Jazz. David, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Okay, sounds good, guys. And I'm very disappointed that we didn't do a whole show on whether the Jazz should trade for Russell Westbrook or James Harden. (laughs) Okay, maybe next time. See ya. There's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. When we come back, what is trending? Alabama taking down Georgia. The day in the NFL. And yes, the World Series is set. That's all coming up. Stay with us.